When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. And now, gambling terms. Push, a wager that results in a tie. Even money. Bet with the same payout as you wager. Legit. Knowing where it's truly legal to gamble in Colorado. You can enjoy legal gaming in Blackhawk, Central City, Cripple Creek, as well as licensed online sports and off-track betting in Colorado. Play legit and gamble only where it's legal. Learn more now at playlegitco.com. A message from the Colorado Division of Gaming. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. This is the GM Shuffle. We don't like Mayfield because he's too short. <laughs> but goddamn, we can't wait to draft Willis, who's shorter. Goddamn, we can't wait to do that. Like, does this make any sense? You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle podcast with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. Michael, two weeks yes, away sir. until the NFL draft, buddy. I cannot wait. Oh, nobody can wait. It's the best, right? I mean, how many more mocks do you think we'll be able to analyze over the course of the next 100 days or whatever it is? I mean, you know, the funny thing about mocks is that you, there used to be a time, and and this was when I first started my career in 1984, there used to be a time where a mock was actually accurate. So in 1984, uh, I got to the draft room. Bill Walsh calls me in and says, Hey, tomorrow morning before we start, draft start at 5 o'clock, find out, get somebody in Boston to read you the Boston Globe so I could have Will McDonough's mock draft in front of me. I said, okay, sure. Well, my college roommate, the great Paul Brady, was from Waltham, PA, the home of Fred Smurlis, the former defensive tackle of the New England Patriots. Actually, I think Paul Brady's more popular than Fred Smurlis in the town, but that goes without <laughs> saying. But anyway, moving forward, you know, I called Brady up. We nick- his nickname was Beef. His father owned a butcher store, appropriately. <laughs> and so I called Beef up, and I'm like, hey, hey buddy, get, read me Will's mock. And so I read the mock, and, it's, and then I give it to Coach Walsh, and he makes his decision to do whatever he wanted to do in the draft. And we traded up to get Jerry Rice in that draft ahead of, ahead of a couple teams that perhaps were going to pick him. But more importantly, his, his, his mock was dead on. And as he would tell me later in life when I got close to Will, he said, nobody's going to lie to me about their mock. Well, today, lying is probably the, the sport of operation in the you mock betcha. draft. <laughs> nobody's telling the truth. Nobody's, telling, nobody's leaking information out of their draft room. They're leaking false information out of their draft room. So everybody takes these mocks as if they're the gospel. And, and Walsh used to say all the time, it's not about where they go. It's about how they play. You know, we see Mel Kuyper came out with his mock today. He's got Malik Willis going the seventh pick overall, the sixth pick to Carolina. You know, okay, great. I don't, I don't think that's true, but great that he's – is he the sixth best player in the draft? You decide. 
that that I mean, it's not up for me to decide. Um, it's up for these teams to decide that. But I am very fascinated to see where these quarterbacks end up going, and that's going to be a lot of the discussion over the next couple of weeks. And make sure that you guys are hanging with us as we lead up to this NFL draft. To subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Follow Michael on Twitter at m lombardi nfl and me on twitter at femi and Benfe. make sure to tweet at us we want to hear your questions our producer steven bond with us as always on the ones and twos michael and we're going to get into the, all the mock draft stuff but i want to get into some news about a quarterback here in las vegas because that's where i reside so i'm going to be a little bit selfish and uh, hopefully talk a little Derek carr with you how about this michael Derek carr receives a nice extension Wednesday morning. It's a three-year contract. The extension is worth $121.5 million. Carr now with the Las Vegas Raiders through the 2025 season, and he is already the longest tenured QB in the AFC, and the Las Vegas Raiders now putting an exclamation point on what's been a very eventful offseason. You know, I think this contract is almost a, a symbolism of what you have to try to do when you are stuck in a spot. I think it's it applies to the Carolina Panthers, and we could talk about that later. Mm-hmm. But to me, when Josh McDaniels took over the job, it, it would be easy to say, and I think he learned from this when he took over and he had Jay Cutler, and he traded Jay Cutler, is I, I don't really want Carr, but you got to finish the sentence. Like, who's better than Carr? Who's going to come in and play better than Carr for me as I start this off? And knowing that I've got to kind of – I'm taking over a playoff team that I've got to, that the expectations is to really continue that playoff streak, and so I got a guy that was ten and seven last year. He's eight and eight the year before. He's improved his yards per attempt tremendously. One of the criticisms that I had in his career, really before Gruden got there, was his his lack of throwing the ball down the field and taking too many checkdowns. And I think ultimately he's improved under Gruden there. And so, at a thirty year old player, as much as there's some things you don't like about Carr's game. Mm-hmm. you realize that you're better off sleeping with the devil you know than <laughs> trading him in for somebody you don't know. And this contract and this extension, although we don't know what the deal is, Carr had $19 million, Femi, pa- packed into his paragraph five. That's all he was on the books for. He had no other, he had no other money coming to him. So that being said, you know, they extended them out a year. It's probably based on the franchise numbers or somewhere in there, and they and they add more years. So now it gives the Raiders time to draft a quarterback, a future quarterback, develop a quarterback, and continue to evaluate Carr. Yeah, and I think that's a very good point that you bring up there in terms of them getting more time to possibly get a quarterback down the line, whether it be two or three years later on here. Last season, Derek Carr led the Raiders to a 10-7 and season. They make the playoffs. They lose to the Cincinnati Bengals there. Kind of near the goal line, that dramatic finish out there in Cincinnati. Carr throws 23 TDs, 14 interceptions, 4,800 passing yards. But I'm not the biggest Derek Carr fan, Michael. And you... And you, and you outlined it like the check downs not as aggressive as you might like for a quarterback that's supposed to elevate your franchise I get why they did this deal and this is kind of the going rate for quarterbacks these days if you want to have one that's competent to good you got to pay up the big bucks but can you really win big with Derek Carr at your quarterback I think that's the question that we probably know the answer to and it's not the one that the Raiders would like 
No, I, I think you've got to surround them with a better supporting cast. There's no denying that. And certainly the Raiders are attempting to do that with signing, you know, Devontae Adams and, and, and if they get Waller back healthy. I mean, the guy got hit way too much last year. I mean, he was sacked 40 times. I mean, four years ago he was sacked 51 times. And so he's been hit way too much. And I think they put too much on his plate. I think he's going to enter into a, a, into a, a game with Josh McDaniels where they're going to take some of that off his plate. Look, he's got to get better at game management. There's no denying. You can't throw that you can't throw the ball on the ground on first and 10 at the nine you got to run a play there you can't throw the ball short of the goal line on fourth down he he's got to improve I do think and I'm not saying this because my son's there I'm saying this because I I have great respect for McDaniels as a coach and he'll make the quarterback better but I, I do think he'll improve but I think a lot of these guys Femi I don't know which ones in the league you know on one hand count the ones that you don't have to worry about I mean you, you don't mm-hmm. think after Mahomes the way he played last year you're not worried about him I mean, yeah. he, we, it's a dirty secret. We're not allowed to talk about it. It's like, you know, somebody <laughs> farted in church. I mean, you can't say he played shitty. You know, you're not allowed to say he, He's an MVP. He's, he's certified Super Bowl MVP yeah. and everything. You've got to, you got, it's like when you talk about pro football focus, you have to genuflex first before you get into it. You know, you're not allowed to because they are the experts. And so you can't say something. Oh, you know, last year I was saying Mahomes was, you know, the receivers were dropping the ball. I kept watching the tape saying like, no, he was throwing the ball in the wrong spot. You know, what I don't think people understand is great quarterbacks if you if if Tom Brady is is throwing the ball to you and your back is to the defense wherever he throws the ball to whatever whether it's to your right shoulder or to your left shoulder all right that's where he wants you to turn and run he's throwing you away from the defender so accuracy is defined like we've talked about many times through the door Mm. hitting the key hitting the doorknob or through the keyhole and you've got to be a keyhole thrower to be an elite player last year Mahomes wasn't a keyhole thrower yeah, this car thing, I just worry about what they're able to do ultimately in terms of taking the next step here. I mean, he's been there for about eight years now, and they've only had two winning seasons under mm-hmm. Derek Carr. And I don't want to be like the wins is solely contribute to the quarterback because it's a team sport here. But you would wish that you felt a little bit better about the guy that you gave the big bucks to. I mean, I can't get out of my head there. The final sequence against the Bengals when he spikes the ball, killing one down for them when they could have had four chances to throw the ball into the end zone. He cuts that down to three and then ultimately lose the game. And that's the job of the coach who's got to kind of do that. I mean, look, you know, I mean, look, the headset was open. So blame Carr for spiking, right? But when the ball got down there, the guy on the headset, Greg Olson, should have been saying, hey, we're running a play. We're running a play. Don't spike. Mm -hmm. Don't spike. Because the mic was open. Now, I'm not blaming Olsen for it. The quarterback should know that. I mean, there's more situational awareness that has to come through playing. And I will say this, based on the way McDaniels coaches, that's going to happen. Now, I'm with you. I, 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 I said this last year. When Gruden was there, they should draft a young quarterback. Because unless yeah. you're willing to pay $40, $45 million for Carr, if that's your appetite, you need to draft one. When they didn't do that, they basically had an appetite to pay that. Because they, they, what's the alternative? Okay, you're going to pick Malik Willis? You're going to pick Kenny Pickett? You're going to pick <laughs> Matt Corral? I mean, where are you going with this? Like Every quarterback you say is, is not as good as, as Carr. Uh, Carr was a second-round pick, Femi. Think yeah. about it. He was a second-round pick. He's better than all these guys that are talked about going in the first round. Not even close. Put his Fresno State tape on compared to Matt Corral, Mississippi, Malik Willis, who didn't throw a touchdown against major competition, right, and Kenny Pickett. I mean, put the, compare the tapes. Tell me who's better. Yeah, no, I think the thing that it bodes well for the Raiders is that it allows them to find that quarterback 
on their own terms is what you want to do. You don't want to fi- have to find a quarterback when you need to find one. You want to be able to find one when the opportunity presents itself, like we saw with the Kansas City Chiefs moving up for a Patrick Mahomes in that situation. Um, I want to ask you about the L.A. Rams here, Michael, as we transition to mm-hmm. the Rams. They're the offseason champions, and they're the reigning Super Bowl champions because they always, always – push the envelope to try to get better players and try to get some marquee big-name free agents. And a report recently came out that the Rams are interested in cornerback Stephon Gilmore. Now, Stephon Gilmore is a former Defensive Player of the Year. He's a multiple-time All-Pro, played in New England. He played most recently with the Carolina Panthers. And the Rams, if they get Gilmore, it would be having Gilmore and Jalen Ramsey as their corners. You already signed Bobby Wagner at linebacker. You got Aaron Donald there probably the best player in the league. Like, is is anybody else in the NFC trying? Like, how are the Rams getting away with possibly getting a guy like Gilmore? So I think there's a media story out there that the Rams spent all this money, $34 million to get Bobby Wagner. Let's just just calm down here for a moment. Let's just take a deep breath. (laughs) Namaste. And basically, we know Bobby Wagner's market wasn't very robust. It wasn't. I mean, he got a $5 million signing bonus that they spread out over five years. Okay, and he got $1.5 million in base salary that's guaranteed. So essentially, he got $6.5 million this year. That's what he got. Mm. That's what he got. He got $6.5 million. That's not a lot of money. That's not, they didn't spend a lot of money for Bobby. Now, they lowered the cap number tremendously. His cap number is only $2.5 million. But he didn't get $34 million and this ridiculous sum, and the Rams aren't circumventing the cap with what they're doing. This is a very cap-friendly deal for them. It's a one-year deal. Yeah. There's not a chance in hell they're paying $7.5 million next year. No chance. The, 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 he'll be, they'll restructure the contract or, or they'll redo the deal, but they're not paying 7-5. His cap number is going to be $12 million next year. They don't have $10 million of cap space to let it go. So unless you're willing to do these kind of deals with the Rams, and they've been great at doing them. I mean, Kevin Demoff and, and, and Sean McVay have been very good at selling these deals and putting off the future for next year. I mean, when you look at, when you look at their cap currently – I mean, I think Bobby Wagner ranks as like the on on the cap scale. He's like, you know, fifteenth down in terms of cap money, right? So they're really not a lot of money they put into this. You know, they've got dead money and they've got dead money in Robert Woods. That's the significant dead money they have. They have almost they have twelve million dollars in Woods. Other than that, they don't. And so what they've been able to do is get these economic friendly deals for themselves. Credit to them, no doubt. Credit to them. But they're nothing like what we read about in the paper. They're nothing like what we're reading. And so that mythology continues, which has permeated through while the Rams are doing something that nobody else is doing. He took the two and he took the six and a half from them as opposed to taking it from somebody else. The market wasn't robust. Do you think Gilmore's a fit if they end up ultimately pulling this deal off? I think the reason Gilmore's a free agent is because he hasn't gotten the number he wants. Every player right now who's not signed to a contract, he can't get the number he wants. Late April, which or middle of April, when the magnolias start to bloom, right <laughs> after the gusta. Oh yeah. If, if, if you don't, if you don't, ha- you, you don't, you're not signed because you can't get your number. You just a simple fact. You're trying to get your number. You're trying to use the media to manufacture it. You're trying to do like. You know, the Rams are interested. Everybody's trying to manipulate the market to enhance it. So there's two ways to go. You use manipulation, which the CIA did often, you know, through <laughs> through their efforts. You know, they so learned the, from the, that. This is his agent using the media to say, drum up a little bit of a market here. 
it's it's why we do it. It's how they do it. You know, it, it's trick. It's strictly how they do it. Operation Mockingbird was a CIA uh, <laughs> operation that basically we would go into different countries and, and, and have media people and start spreading stories about what we wanted to change in those countries. They did the same thing here in America. It's no different. We're trying to they're trying to create a narrative. No doubt. Trying to create now. Unless he gets his number, he's not signing it. Or unless he can't get his number, he's signing it. Yeah. And yeah. ultimately, that's what happens right before training camp or sometime during camp. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, there's no point of him rushing to sign if he can't get his number. Might as well just wait and skip all the spring OTAs and minicamp and then just sign right before training camp. We might see some media manipulation with some of these quarterbacks that are on rosters <laughs> right now, but might not be on the rosters come regular season. That's Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy G still with the 49ers, despite a lot of people thinking that they will move on from him before the start of this regular season. Baker Mayfield, the Cleveland Browns already moved on to another quarterback. Now he's still sitting on the roster which one do you think is most likely to move, and when do you think they move? Is it going to be on draft weekend? So I, I think I think Mayfield will be the most likely one to move because he can pass the physical. Look, and here's where I think you, as a personnel director, have to make a hard decision, and you can, and it's not black or white. It's not. There's so much gray. Okay, I've been on record as saying I'm not a Baker Mayfield fan. Mm-hmm. Been on record of that. Uh, where are you on that? I'm right there with you. I've never liked him. Okay, so we're both in the same boat. So let's go. We're both in a we're both and in that's a meeting. The Baker okay? the player, not that I don't know him as a person. That's Baker the player. Right. When I say we're talking, I like ba- we're we're, yeah. we're talking quickly player. I mean, I don't I don't enjoy the progressive commercials. I'll be honest with you, but you know, but I rather have him than Jamie. But uh, you know, I rather have do- I rather have Doctor uh, whatever that guy is. The, the don't act like your parents. I rather have yep. that guy. But yes. anyway, so back to Baker. I, I'm not in love with Baker as a player. I think there's limitations. However, however, if Baker is my is an option and my only other option is Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral. I mean, some people have Sam Howell go. I read some an article where somebody thinks four quarterbacks are going in the first round. Yeah, I've I mean, seen I'm just it. staggered. Oh, okay. I mean, uh, Sam Howell in the first round. Are you kidding me? That uh, I mean, anyway, so so what would I do? What would I say to you? I'd say, look, Femi, we're not good enough right now. Sam Darnold, we need competition. Mm-hmm. We've got $30 million of cap room. we got a, a player on a one-year contract. Let's rent him. Let's see what we got. I don't love it. When we signed Vinny Testaverde in 1993, no, nobody loved Vinny as a player. Everybody knew he had limitations. But what was our alternative, Right. What was our alternative? I mean, we were I was gonna we were gonna sign Mike Tomzak back in '93, and the great Jeff Murad said, "Mike, unless he gets a seven-figure deal, he'll never sign in Cleveland." Okay, you didn't get a seven-figure deal. What are we gonna do, right? You know, Mike, he won't take that deal. Okay, great. Don't take the deal. No problem, Jeff. We won't take the deal. Oh, we're moving on, Mike. Of course, he signed with the Pittsburgh for less than a seven-figure deal. Jeff didn't get that right. But anyway, my point here is is like at some point you got to make a choice, and my choice would be, I'd stay at six if I'm the if I'm the Panthers. I pick mm-hmm. Charlie Cross, the left tackle at Mississippi State. I turn that card in, and I and I trade for Baker Mayfield, and I'd rent him. You know, there's nothing wrong with renting. There's nothing wrong with an Airbnb. You don't yeah. lock yourself in. You don't have a 30 year mortgage. You just kind of rent them. And now you got two quarterbacks you're renting. Well, do you think those discussions are going on right now amongst these? personnel people that need quarterbacks that might not oh, be in I love with the guys that are happening in this draft right now. 
I, I do. I think that's conversation. I don't know this for a fact. I think that conversation should be happening in mm-hmm. in Seattle. It should be happening in Carolina. They're the teams that are two that need quarterbacks. They're the only two. T- the Saints aren't going down that road. They signed Winston. They signed Andy Dalton as the backup. They're not going down that road. So who else? Who else are we competing against? Right. Again, quarterbacks are like musical chairs. Once a chair is taken, it's over. It's over. And Baker's got 18 million guaranteed. So you can't say, you know, we're going to get rid of Baker and, you know, we'll get rid of the con- – you're taking on that deal. So you've got – and then so now let's layer it in. You've got to have cap room to take his contract and you've got to have the need to get a quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. So no. it – and so what would I do if I'm a general manager, if, if I were a gentleman, if I were advising Matt Rule, I'd say, Matt, look, I don't love Baker. You don't love Baker. The, I'm sure the, the coaches aren't in love with Baker, but he's our best option to win seven, eight or nine games. I mean, the one thing about Baker, you, you could hate him. I hate him, too. Whatever we do, he, he's once he can win seven or eight games and seven or eight games could help the Panthers become a good team. Yeah. Remember, yeah, you've got to get good before you get great. He, See, won, and, he won a division two years ago. Right, and so let's or get the good before least, we get yeah. great. Let's get good before we get great. Let's go out there and make this. And, and again, I'm saying this. I'm on record as he's not a drop-back passer. He's too small. I'm on record all that. But the, that's my right side of my brain. The left side, the practical side of my brain says, what are we going to do? If I turn that card in with Malik Willis, you know, I, 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 I'm guaranteed to get myself fired. Everybody writes next to the Panthers. They all write this. They all write this verbiage that you know uh, Matt Rule have to take a swing on a quarterback here. They don't have a second or third round pick. He's on the hot seat, and this will buy him some time with a rookie signal call. No, it won't. I mean, just call Matt Nagy. I'll give you his number. Call him. Ask him how that worked out for him. Like I don't know how that rhetoric gets in columns. If you draft a rookie quarterback, it doesn't buy you time. It gets your ass fired. Tell me one guy who drafted a rookie quarterback. In his third year, that was that was on the hot seat, that was able to stay. No, I, I hear what you're saying, and we're going to try to find a home, Michael, for these quarterbacks on the other side because I know you love mock drafts. We'll discuss the latest one here. This is the GM Shuffle Podcast. Stay with us. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Michael, two weeks until the NFL draft, so it is mock draft season. I know you famously once said that 
since you were yelled at by Al Davis, it means you don't have to do mock drafts. So I already uh, know how no. you feel about these mock drafts going into this thing. He but. loved them, though. He uh, he loved them. Uh, get, me the, <laughs> get me the latest one, will you? Bring that over here. Let me look at that. Oh, this fucking guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Get him out of here. You know? I, I mean, is that like what goes on inside the NFL buildings? We're going to get to Mel Kuyper's mock draft in just a bit. But I just want to ask you, like, how are these mock drafts received inside the building once you see these things get published and it's like, all right, who did this team have us taking? Oh, that's not close. Like, how do you guys talk about it? I think we, we've always talked about there's always somebody in the town that kind of has a source in the building and that one guy doesn't have 32 sources, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, for example, you know, maybe and when Peter Schrager puts out his mock, he's pretty well wired into the Rams organization. Mm-hmm. So whatever he might put for the Rams, which they don't have a pick, that's probably pretty accurate. You know, when John McClain, the great sports writer of the Houston uh, uh, Houston Texans, but back when he was with the Oilers, with the, the Monsignor, Mike Holovac, one of the great personnel guys of all time, you know, John was probably 1,000% on the, on the Oilers pick from the Monsignor. So, you know, you just kind of, you know what guy in what town. Bushbaum, Joel Bushbaum was tremendous at it because he had really good scouts that he was talking to and, and decision makers that, you know, this is the options, this is what we're going to do. Like, like Mel will know exactly what Baltimore's going to do because he's wired in with the Costa. He's he, their friends. So, you know, he'll probably have a pretty good read on their pick. I don't think he's going to say, come out and say, I know this is what they're doing because yeah. he's going to expose his, he doesn't want to expose his, his contacts, nor would but, I say, hey, I know the, what the, New England's doing because I'm friends with Bill. Huh? I so said you can pick up the breadcrumbs almost type of thing. You kind of got it. You got to You got to partial it through. And I think what you do is typically now that we, you know, as, as this thing is advanced, you take all the names that you're, you take every, every one of these, every one of these, uh, uh, mocks and you throw them all into a database and you sort them and you don't really value one higher than the other. They're all just the same, whether it's a guy in the Moines basement or it's ESPN <laughs> or it's CBS, it doesn't really matter. They're all the same, right? And you basically come up with a consensus of what is the range of the player that he's going to go in, right? What is Mm -hmm. the range of that player? Like, you know, everybody has Hutchinson going number one overall. Is that true? I don't know. You know, I I, I don't know. It could be, it it probably, but his range would be somewhere between one and, say, five. Because nobody's not going to give Jacksonville Hutchinson. They're going to make that pick. You know, nobody has enough guts. I mean, Schrager went out there the other day and said, hey, I hear Travion Walker's name's real popular. I said it on my Mm -hmm. show two days before. Whereas everybody's in love with Travion Walker's talent, his skill set. You know, they're not in love with his overall production. But as as an upside, no doubt. No doubt he's there. So I think that... You know, and I think you just want to look for ranges. So when you're sitting in and you're sitting in the draft, you kind of get a sense that okay, this is where it's going to happen. But if you know the horizontal board, Femi, and the horizontal board is simply this: the horizontal board is the the the, the players as they rank, regardless of position. That's mm-hmm. the key board to understand, right? That's where when you look at like Mel's got Mel's got Willis going six, like that doesn't fit anybody's horizontal board. If Carolina's going to take Willis at six, they're better off trading down. They're better off trading away from him. They don't have to pick him at six. You know, they don't have to pick him at six, you know, because do you think Seattle's going to pick him? Do you think Atlanta's going to pick him? I mean, you know, that remains to be seen. So you trade down and see where it goes. And I think from there, uh, you, you, you have to grade the horizontal board, and that's where the mocks don't always play into. No, I think that's fascinating insight, just knowing that these teams actually – 
kind of used the mocks almost to build a wisdom of the crowd kind of consensus on the yeah. range of where these players are going. And most recently, Wednesday morning, Mel Kuyper, who might have the most famous mock drafts, he's been going at this draft Nick thing for quite a while here. He released his two round mock draft, 64 picks. And one of the things I always go into when reading a mock draft, I try to decipher is this person sharing their opinion or is, are they sharing what they're actually hearing? And it can get tricky at times here. I know Mel has to probably do about six or seven of these leading up. So maybe sometimes he switches things up just to entertain himself. I'm not saying anything nefarious is going on with his mock draft, but who knows how much you can take away from them. But we'll get into it. Starting with the first pick here with the Jacksonville Jaguars, Michael. He has Aiden Hutchinson, the Michigan pass rusher, going number one. Hutchinson has kind of been the favorite in the betting markets to go number one. He's been the consensus kind of clean prospect is how I heard a lot of draft media people talk about him. But the timeline of this top overall pick has fascinated me because during the college football season, it was Kayvon Thibodeau. After the college football season, it was Evan Neal. Then it became Akeem Aquanu after the combine. Then Hutchinson, once free agency <laughs> got underway when Jacksonville tagged Cam Robinson. But like you mentioned, we're hearing rumblings of Trayvon Walker potentially going to Jacksonville here. What do you make of all the different directions that we've gone with this top overall pick? And do you think it is actually down to pass rusher, or do you think the tackles could still be in play? All right, so let's say you're Trent Balky. Trent Balky really doesn't always color inside the lines. He's always <laughs> been a little bit of a different, you know, he's taken a lot of guys when he was in San Francisco that were injured, trying to get some upside to him. And so, you know, typically he's, he's been a guy that's willing to take some risk. Hutchinson is a guy that doesn't really jump out to you. I think if you mm -hmm. study the Georgia tape and really study that tape, he, he doesn't play to the level that he needs to play to be the first overall pick in the draft. He just doesn't. I mean, the Georgia tape bothered him. And so let's take that Georgia tape. And so then you go to Georgia, and, and you basically say to the Georgia coaches, hey, can you get me Travion Walker rushing against the Georgia lineman? Okay? Mm -hmm. Why am I doing that? Because I want to see an apple to an apple. I want to compare an apple to an apple. Now, I understand one game's for the national championship, but the other games in practice are for yeah. playing time. So they both mean a lot, right? And then I watch Walker rush against these tackles, and it looks different than Hutchinson. So wait a minute. I'm going to settle. Everybody says Hutchinson's a safe pick. We took a safe pick when I was at the Raiders. We took Robert Gallery. He was Oof. anything but safe. He was anything but safe, right? Yeah. He was the consensus safe pick in the draft. You couldn't go wrong taking Gallery. Yeah, second Great overall. kid. Tremendous kid. We passed up every quarterback because we didn't want to take a quarterback. Rich Gannon was coming back. Huge mistake. Huge mistake. You know, but we took the safe player, the highest player on our board. He wasn't safe. Hutchinson, you're falling in love with his effort. His production against Ohio State was, act, was great. You know, his relentless attitude, his willingness to continue to compete. But those aren't like signs that he's the best player in the draft. It's the same thing when you take Baker Mayfield. He wasn't the most talented thrower. Mm -hmm. He wasn't the biggest guy. He wasn't the best athlete. You took him number one. Like, when you, when you turn the card in for number one, you better make sure you're making a statement. When we turned in Eric Turner's card as the number two pick overall in 1991, Eric Turner was legitimately one of the best players. That is, was going to be one of the top five players in his position the minute he came in the league, which he was. Then he got sick, and unfortunately he ended up going to the race. But the point here is there's nothing really – that you say, wow, this guy is uniquely talented. He's safe. I don't know if Balky's a safe guy. I, I think it could be somebody different. I think it could be Walker. I think it really could be.
Is that what, because when I read up on the draft thing, because I'm trying to prepare, because I like to bet on the NFL draft coming up in a couple of weeks, and everything I read, everything I listen to is that a lot of teams actually have Walker as the number one overall player in this draft here, and it's not really what Daniel Jeremiah might say or what Mel Kuyper might say, not to kind of throw shade at those guys. but No, those guys... Those guys are all entitled to their opinion. And look, I don't, I'm yeah. not picking on Mel. Mel's done this for so many years. He he's been, he works at it. He studies the tape. He gives his opinion. That the, it, but his opinion isn't the gospel. It's not pro football focus. It's not that. You know, it's his opinion. It's one man's opinion, just like this is my opinion. And so, mm-hmm. well, you know, and who, Daniel who Jeremiah, you same. Yeah, for your you opinion, know, who would me, you select number one? I think this is a kind of draft. I'm sure if Jacksonville could move out of that spot, they would. Oh yeah, because I don't think you, I don't think you need to do it. But if push came to shove, you know, I probably would take the best offensive lineman or defensive lineman that I thought that I thought was worthy of the pick. I I, I think certainly I would consider. Now I again, you and I aren't spending time with the players. Mm-hmm. I would spend a lot of time with Walker. Can he handle being the first pick overall? Can he maximize his skill set? Is he going to play hard? I want to know why Thibodeau has disappeared in games. So I would consider those two. You know, those are two would be I consider. I would I would consider Gardner the corner from I would consider the corner, even though I don't okay. want to take a corner. I would consider Charles Cross. I would have about six or seven names I would consider. Evan Neal's another guy that everybody thinks is a good player, but they don't think he's going to be an elite player. You know, they think he's good. Everybody thinks you know, everybody believes Ikawanu is going to be a really good player, but maybe just a guard. He'll go inside to play guard. Mm. And that, you know, Charles Cross might be the best tackle out there. He's a three-year starter, five-star, you know, really athletic, hasn't even grown into his body yet. I mean, there's a high ceiling. The two players with the highest ceiling might be Walker and Cross. Wow. That, yeah, because right now Cross is seen as kind of the third offensive tackle because it's a, been a lot of jostling between Neil and Aquanu. But it's fascinating to hear you talk about Cross as potentially the most ready or the guy that's seen as the highest ceiling in terms of a left tackle. Number two stood out to me in Mel Kuyper's mock draft. It's his 4.0 here. And you talked about considering Gardner there for number one. He has the Lions taking Gardner at number two, which I haven't seen that much during this process. And I ask you, would Detroit really do that? I mean, it was just two years ago they took Jeff Okuda out of Ohio State at number three overall pick. Do they double up there at cornerback in the top five? You know, for me, you know, I, I believe that the corner is a position that maybe not necessarily uh, is easy to find, but you may have more candidates. I, I think if you're Detroit, you better get a front seven player. Mm. You've got to get a front seven. You've got to get somebody to rush the passer. Unless, unless you know – Unless we can brush, it doesn't really matter how good we cover, you know. And so Gardner's a really good player. He's long. I would never want to take a corner that high, mm-hmm. only because I think to me, yeah, I want one. I mean, we took we took Antonio Langham ninth pick overall. He ended up being a good player, not a great player. But you know, we took Namdi Asimov at the bottom of the first round, and he yeah. ended up being a much better player, you know. And so I think there's certainly based on scheme, you should get one. To me, if I'm Detroit, it's all about the front seven. I'm getting me a defensive lineman that I think is the best rusher in the draft. If it's Hutchinson, I'll take him. If it's Gardner, I'll take him. If it's Thibodeau, I'll take him. You know, I'm going to pick the best rusher. It's funny that you bring up Kayvon Thibodeau because that's who Kuiper has the Jets taking with the number four overall selection. And in the blurb that he writes up, because he writes up a little blurb for each player that he has in the mock draft, he says that he's not balling, that not falling, or rather, not buying, I should say, that Thibodeau is falling in the draft. Are you buying that he's falling? Because recently we've seen him mocked as high as number two now to Detroit. 
Well, I, I think he definitely has. There's, I don't know if the fall. See, I've never bought the falling thing. I've never bought the falling thing ever because I think ultimately when the, the way I've always viewed this is the scouts go through the fall and they grade the players. And then when the coaches who understand what it takes to play in the NFL, one of the biggest difference between scouts and, and coaches and evaluations, particularly coaches that can evaluate, is the scouts don't always compare the player to somebody in the league or understand what's playing in the league. They spend so much time watching college players that they don't understand the value of what really happens in the league. And so what I always believe in this spike or this you know drop is determined by the experts that get involved who make the decisions start mm-hmm. to kind of clear it out. And that causes some players to drop, and that causes some players to go. But they never really dropped. They were just positioned wrongly. And so I think this kid probably, unless people get their hands wrapped around the inconsistencies on how he disappears off tape at times where he'll go 10, 12, 13 plays that his talent doesn't just jump out at you, until you can get that figured out, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to be wondering at night, every night, did we do the right thing picking this guy? Because measuring the heart is the most important quality in evaluation. Yeah, and that's the thing that we don't have the information on because we're not able to talk to these kids. But he is the most fascinating prospect, I think, among these guys who are seen as the top prospects in this draft. I think Thibodeau is the most fascinating one. I am very, very interested to see where he ends up going on draft night. Real quick, Malik Willis was mocked to the Panthers at number six. You're on record saying that you wouldn't take any of these guys in the top 10. But from what you're hearing around the league, do you think a quarterback goes in the top 10? And if so, who could that quarterback be? You know, I, I could see it being, you know, I mean, Willis has got certainly the big arm. He's only, he's barely six feet tall. You know, he's built like Here, a here's back. the thing. Here's the funny thing, right? We don't like Mayfield because he's too short. <laughs> but God damn, we can't wait to draft Willis, who's shorter. God damn, we can't wait to do that. Like, does this make any sense? Like, like this, you know, does this make any sense? We're having Mayfield can't see anybody down the field. I'm criticizing him. He gets too many balls tipped at the line. He can't see. And yet all of a sudden I'm running up to the board to turn in Malik Willis, who's six feet tall. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you could do that. I don't know. I was talking to a team yesterday who has a pick in the top 15 and I know for a fact that they don't have any of these guys graded with first round grades. Mm. And and they could use a quarterback. I mean, they're eventually going to need one. So, like, I don't know everybody's grading system. Like, I know our grading system from Cleveland that is now in New England that I'm sure they're using in Oakland now. I mean, in Las Vegas now. And same within Houston. But for, for me, most of these players would be the best you could make any of these quarterbacks would be a 62 player. They're most 59s. And if you're picking a 59 player in the in the top of the first round, you're really you're really making a huge mistake. Now, what the grade means something, right? So when when Mel grades the player, the you've got to be able to declare this isn't about where they go; it's about how they play. So what you're saying at the sixth pick overall is Malik Willis will come in, he will be a starter, and he will be in the top ten players at his position in in a short amount of time. Now, if you're picking him six, you want to say in the next year he'll be in the top ten, eventually a top five player. You can't say that. You, you can't. I don't care how much you need a quarterback. You can't grade him that way. So you're fudging your grades. You're lying to your grading system. And the reason <laughs> you have a grading system is so you don't lie. 
Yeah. W- window dressing the board. I could talk about these quarterbacks, and I think we could do a total podcast, a full episode on just these quarterbacks in general because it is interesting to see where they end up falling. But on the other side, Michael, we're going to talk about the guys who catch passes from these quarterbacks. Let's talk a little receivers here in the draft coming up next. Michael, over the last couple of years, the wide receivers, it feels like, keep getting better and better as they enter the NFL. And this is another premier class of wide receivers that we have to go from. And the top guys, it's fascinating because I don't know if there's a clear-cut wide receiver one, but there's three names that I keep hearing. Two are solidified as first-round, maybe top 15 picks. Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State, Drake London out of USC. But the guy I think I might be most intrigued about is Alabama's Jamison Williams. Real quick, who do you think ends up being the first wide receiver selected? And then we can kind of break down each of these guys in terms of their talent. You know, I, I think it's a hard question to answer. I, I think it might be Garrett Wilson. I think Williams, Jamison Williams would be because of his, his unique speed, his playmaking ability. But I think Garrett Wilson might be the best one. You know, he's got, he, got, he can run well. He's got ability to uh, run with the football, run after the catch, which is critical, you know, and, and he can make plays and separate. What I think you've got to understand about evaluating receivers, which makes it the hardest position on the board to evaluate, is they don't see a lot of press coverage. They don't have a guy in their face immediately. And so you really don't know how they win the route at, at the beginning of the route and at the top of the route. You don't get that much. You see them run, the, run against air, get into the route, accelerate, and they're open. And that's hard because it, in the NFL, somebody's going to be disrupting them constantly. And so I, I think that's why it's so hard, and that's why there's so many differences of opinions on each player. I think the hardest thing you have to do is judge their innate quickness at the top of the route. And so I like Wilson. I love Jamison Williams, too. And I, and I think ultimately I like the Dotson kid from Penn State quite a okay. bit. So, you know, but I think all these guys, I think the question as a personnel director, Femi, you've got to ask yourself is how much better is Wilson than who maybe the, let's say Wilson's the best receiver. How much different is Wilson than say, you know, Justin Ross from Clemson or Chris Olivier from, from, from Ohio State? Okay, because why am I asking that question? Because if I can get a better player later, if I can get the same player later, why would I pick that player? It has to be a distinct difference. It has to be separation. Mm-hmm. The line of demarcation has to be. So if I know I'm going to get a pool of players. See, the thing about the draft is you, you, you can't have a love affair. You can't love one player. You have to be able to love clusters. And if you love clusters, you're willing to move around. If you only want a player, like Bobby Bethel, when he ran drafts, he went into the draft. He had like five names on a card. He wanted to pick one. So he was going to do whatever he could to get those five names. You know, whereas Jimmy Johnson wasn't that way. Jimmy Johnson was clusters. Were you a cluster? Are you a cluster drafter? Are you a pinpoint drafter? Those are two different things. And if the best way to draft is through clusters, trade down, get a guy, especially if they're all alike. Now, if you're sitting there and you know you can't, this is the last guy, then you can't trade away from him. I was going to say, I was like, the cluster guy almost feels like the trade down guy. The pinpoint guy tends to be the guy who wants to trade up in the draft to get whoever they desire. Mel Kuyper, for record, has seven wide receivers going in the first round. So it might be dangerous to possibly wait on a guy later on because maybe all the top tier guys end up going there within those first 32 picks. He has Wilson going to Atlanta at number eight as the first wide receiver taken. But Jamison Williams has fascinated me because you mentioned it. He probably is the first wide receiver taken, if not for the torn ACL in the national title game. But what we know with 
ACL injuries. Now, a lot of the rehab tends to be clean, and Williams apparently is rehab is ahead of schedule as we approach this NFL draft coming up in a couple weeks. Do you think that teams might overlook the injury and still end up taking no. him in that top 10? Do you think they're scared off of it just because he's not going to be ready until maybe October or November? Well, I think you got to take the best player, right? So your doctors are going to tell you what to do on this one. Your mm -hmm. doctors are going to say basically, here's, you know, here's who, here's the way we grade this player, and they grade in every organization. It's probably different, but they'll grade one through five. One meaning you can't draft this guy under any circumstances. Uh, one, one, this guy's completely healthy, which. Typically, if you played three years in college football, you're not typically healthy. And five means you're rejected off our board. We can't draft them. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to sit there and probably like a kid like Jamison Williams, depending on how much arthritis is in the knee, how much all those areas, they'll come up with a grade. I would predict he's probably somewhere around a three. And then that becomes down to, do we think he's going to have a long – Todd Gurley. When Todd Gurley came out, he yeah. was a three-plus or a four. Everybody knew he wasn't going to get a second contract. They said, look, he's a really good player, but the reason the medical's concerning because this knee's not going to hold up. I think that's the question we can't answer on Jamison Williams. I think that's the question. You know, giving Atlanta a receiver is is kind of makes sense, but but Femi, the, the the quarterback was was on his he got hit more than any quarterback the last three years. If they don't fix this line, Mariota won't make it. I mean, bet, let's bet the over under on how many games Mariota plays. Yeah, and and he's already a guy that has durability issues to begin with. Now you're putting him behind that kind of paper mache offensive line. It's uh, it's, it's not going to be pretty for the Falcons this year. They might be the team that's looking to get in the Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud sweepstakes in 2023. At least that's how it looks like they're positioning themselves as of right now when you look at their roster here. So you think that the medicals will kind of scare teams off of Williams going in the being the first receiver taken, but he'll still go in that top 15, top 20 range, you believe. You know, I think he should. He's certainly talented enough. And I think you have to look – you've got to be able to say with certainty, look, this guy's going to be healthy. His knee's going to be fine. And if we have to give up four or five games, so be it. You know, we'll get him and, and we'll get him healthy. And once we get him, we got a great player. I mean, you can't be short-minded. I think you have to be able to look into the future a little bit down the road and not be, you know, well, we got to, he's got to play next year. Because, look, we know this. that These guys, all these players in this draft, it'll be very hard for any of them to move the meter. Mm -hmm. of the team they're going to go to. This draft is always about the 2023 team, not the 22 team. This yeah. draft is going to impact. Now, I know if you pick the guy in the first round, you get a, you want that five-year contract. Granted, but you're looking at this. The, when it, If a team needs these guys to play right away and play well, they're probably not a good team. Which one do you think has the biggest upside among these receivers, the five, six, seven that could go in round one? Oh, you know, I would say – you know, everybody loves the Burks kid from from Arkansas. Yeah, he's getting Burks Debo to, Samuel comparisons. Yeah, but Burks is a little bit like a guy like, uh, you know, he's kind of a, a bigger – they play him in so many different spots. He's more of an F to me than he is – Can he? I think the question is, do you think we can play outside? And, and maybe he can. At 225, it's hard to put him out there. You think he's going to win with quickness, and does he have it? You know, I, I mean, I think I love Dotson. I think Dotson changed the game for Penn State. They just didn't get him the ball quite a bit. Clifford, I didn't think, was very good. You mm -hmm. know, I, and so I would lean towards Dotson. Yeah, Dotson is fast. Those Penn State guys, I don't know what's going on. Something's in the water over there in Happy Valley. Because I mean, I'm, as a Cowboy fan, I'm seeing Micah Parsons. He's a freak athlete. They have Adafi Owe for the Ravens. He's a freak athlete. Dotson's a freak athlete. I don't know what they're doing in that strength and conditioning program, but they're doing something really, really well. Drake London out of USC. 
He's a guy who's supposed to run his 40 at the end of this week here. Big body kind of receiver, getting some comparisons to Mike Evans out there in Tampa. What do you think of Drake London? Do you think he ends up going as high as some of the draft Knicks have him going? You know, I like Drake London. I, I think he's got speed. I think the key to, to, to him is going to be, do we think he's really good in terms of his quickness? Sometimes these bigger guys that can play on the outside, they've got to win with their quickness. You know, he started 23 games in his collegiate career. He played in 27 of them. You know, the, they haven't always been the best offense. And I think big thing about this, when you're putting together mocks or you're trying to uh, figure out where players are going to go, the age of the player really matters. Like Charles Cross won't turn 21 until his, I think, in September of his rookie year. This wow. kid, London, won't turn 21 until after he's drafted. So age matters. I mean, Al Davis was a big believer in age. He wanted a young – the NBA, that's what they do with their draft. Mm -hmm. They're all about age. And I think that gives this guy his competitive, his competitive motor and his size certainly wins. We have eight teams, Michael, with two first-round picks in this draft. That's the most ever if this ends up standing by draft day. Which team do you think is most desperate for a receiver? Is it the New York Jets, or is there another candidate that might be looking at a pass catcher? Well, you know, look, I, I think when you break it down, Washington could certainly use another one to go with McLaurin. I think there's no doubt the Jets certainly are looking for one. The Jets, to me, would, would be better off getting a more veteran guy to go along. I think the Saints, if they mm -hmm. draft one, they're basically saying you can come get – you can trade for – you can trade Michael for Thomas. Uh, Michael Thomas because we're going to replace him. You know, I mean, I think you could easily say that. I think the Saints are going to pick offensive and defensive linemen. I think that's the strength of the draft. So, you know, and I think the Steelers could easily pick a receiver. You know, I mean, they, you know, they lose J Juju Smith-Schuster. Where are they going? Do they have enough talent? You know, Green Bay. I mean, Green Bay's got to want to pick a great receiver to replace him. I mean, I think that's what they've waited to do. So we shall see. But I think there's the, the, the key here is to understand – where are they going to go, and can you get a guy with a little bit more value? Would Atlanta be better off taking an offensive lineman, let's say? This is a little bit like playing pool, Femi. Well, you know, you're going to play pool. You, you know you're going to make the one shot off the cue ball, right? Mm -hmm. You want to position the second to make another one. So if you're Atlanta and you know that you, you want to take the best offensive tackle, let's say, well, you've got to take your second-round pick and know what receiver am I going to get there? Whereas if you take a receiver at the top of the first round, what offensive lineman am I going to get there? Well, I'm fascinated from, from an Atlanta perspective because they picked number eight, and we might see three tackles off the board before pick eight based on what we've seen from some of these mock drafts. So if you're the Falcons, are you more comfortable taking the fourth offensive tackle versus maybe the first wide receiver? Or how about a defensive tackle? I mean, you yep. need them all. I mean, your front seven's horrible. Yeah, the, Atlanta you, you, needs everything. <laughs> Atlanta honest. needs everything. And to me, again, and this is this is being stubborn on my part, I was taught by the, the one of the great drafters of all time, wide receiver's the last position you fix on your team. Okay. And I think today if Bill Walsh were alive, he would still believe that because he thinks there's more receivers to come. So I think to me, uh, you know, I would t if, if I were Atlanta, as bad as my talent level is, if, if I'm Dean Peace, I'm screaming for a rusher. I'm screaming for a pass rusher. If, if, I'm, if I'm Arthur Smith, I need an offensive lineman. I mean, I know we got all these first-rounders. We're not blocking anybody. What good's taking it? I mean, look, we just took the, the, a big tight end in the first round. We can't get him the ball. Yeah, he, A quarterback's on his back.
and, and Pitts is a hell of a player. And the, the fact that he's going to be standing there wide open with nobody to throw him to him is uh, it's uh, not good for the Atlanta Falcons. I could talk draft all day with you, Michael, and we will have a few more podcasts as we lead up to the draft to talk more about these prospects and about these teams. But let's take one final break here. We'll wrap up the show on the other side. Michael, we've talked a lot of football here on the show, and it's been excellent discussion with the NFL draft. I cannot wait for it, but we're also big sports fans in general. NBA playoffs get going on Saturday. Your beloved Philadelphia 76ers, mm. the number four oh, seed man. in the Eastern Conference, taking on the Toronto Raptors in what could be a toss-up series, according to the experts. How you feeling about your Sixers, buddy? Uh, I don't feel really good. I, I don't. I'll be honest. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doping this out. I mean, I think to me, when somebody beats you three to one during the regular season, and the only time mm-hmm. that they really that you won, it was a COVID game, and you've got to play three games in Toronto without one of your best defensive players, and you're not great defensively anyway. I mean, look, the 76ers are horrible in transition defense. The the Toronto lives off transition offense. The, the 76ers are horrible in offensive rebounding, and Toronto is one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the league. So it, it's not a good matchup. And, and, you know, Doc has no bench because, you know, Doc just doesn't care about young players, so why would they? I love the <laughs> fact. Did you see his comments on Paul Reed? Like, he was – like, this is the first time in Doc's career – I think he's had I think he's had the media kind of coming after him a little bit. This yeah. Philly media isn't buying the Doc's the greatest coach of all time. They're coming after him. Yeah, and he I think I don't know if those are the comments that he had where he was kind of almost scolding a reporter at the press yeah, conference. That was the one. Yeah, I, yeah, I was like, what is going on in Philadelphia? Like the fact that that's happening heading into the most important part of the season is baffling to me. Joel Embiid, he's played like an MVP all season long. James Harden not so much. He's a former MVP. Tends to disappear sometimes in the playoffs. Any confidence now with Harden on this squad to help out there? Because Simmons clearly wasn't going to play for you guys, so you had to do something. So maybe Harden can get something done. Uh, I think to me, I, I, I think Harden's, you know, like the most disappointing thing for me watching is his shot. He's shooting under 20. He's shooting under 30% from the three-point yeah, line. Yeah, bad. It's been horrible. Like, I thought he was a better – look, we, you knew you were getting limitations on defense, but what you thought you were going to get was his shot, which would create spacing. I mean, he's still a fabulous passer. But, I mean, you know, this is – it's going to have to somehow work out here. I don't know how it's going to, but it's going to have to somehow work out. Yeah, my guy, he's a Seattle guy, Matisse Thibel. You mentioned him is uh, unvaccinated, so he will not be able to play in the games in Toronto. He's a Washington Husky. I've been rooting for Matisse Thibel for a while here. And it's a bummer that we won't be able to see him in those games on the road. But that's going to be a big loss for the Sixers team. What's your prediction for this series? How do you see this one playing out? Oh, it's 4-2. I think I think Toronto wins the first. They'll win one of the games in Philly, first or second. And then they'll go back and they'll win. They'll pro, they go two there. They go It's one. It's two, two, one, one, one. They'll win one there. They probably will have a chance to split. It, it, you know, and then they'll figure out the, the 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 thing. I think the one thing that's really important about the NBA, and I think it, for us working at Visa and a betting network, right, mm-hmm. is the matchups of the coaches really matter, right? So yes. it, when you're in a seven game series, it's the it's like really a chess tournament, right? So when you Bobby Fischer and Boris Spassky, they play they play a game. You know, white pieces should win because white should beat black because they move first. They rejoin. They go back to their rooms. They study. They make adjustments to what they're doing. They play different games. They play different styles based on the histrionics of the sport of the of the game. Mm-hmm. And then they come and adjust. Right. It's the same thing in the NBA. Not to the level of chess, but similar. 
And you got to believe Nurse, if he gets beat in game one, is going to do something in game two to offset that. And then, you know, he's going to continually make the adjustments, which, as we've known from Doc's career, yes. you know, the playoffs have been his have been his nemesis. I mean, the playoffs have been his kryptonite. Yeah, I mean, he has multiple 3-1 collapses in these series, which kind of bodes to what you're saying of him not making those adjustments heading into games five, six, and potentially game seven here. So what do you think happens, though, with this Sixers team? Because a lot of people have been joking about the loser of this series, whether it's Nick Nurse or Doc Rivers has to go coach the Lakers next year. You think that ends up being Doc's fate after this uh, eventually implodes out there in Philly? I think to me, you know, look, the Laker job's opened. Uh, a lot of people, well, Quinn Snyder is not signed, is not signed an extension in, mm-hmm. in Utah. Many people think he's going to leave Utah. I could, and, and Danny Ainge is back in Utah. Would that, would that partnership come back together again? Maybe. I don't know. But I, I think the Heat, you know, look, if you're Daryl Morey and you're the 76ers, you, you, you're, you're stuck with the roster. you got this albatross called Tobias Harris around your neck. <laughs> How are you going to get better? And you know, here's the thing. Here's the question you've got to ask yourself. How are we going to get better when we have a coach who refuses to develop players answer that question riddle me that batman (laughs) that is the million dollar question for the philadelphia 76ers that does it for us here on this week's edition of the podcast michael it's easter weekend happy easter to you we'll talk on the other side of it but thank you to all the listeners who have been coming in chiming in on social media we love to hear the feedback from you guys thank you to DraftKings and vison and of course thank you to our producer Stephen bond on the ones and twos michael have a great weekend and i'll talk to you soon buddy Thanks, Brevin. Appreciate you.